Welcome to Living the Reclaim Life podcast. I'm Denisha. We're glad you're here for conversations that revive hope, inspire healing, and encourage you to live a vibrant life with Christ. So grab a cup of coffee as we chat with today's guest. And Stacy, as we get started, um, I hear you really like two animals. This is true. Um, well, hello. Yes, I am Stacy. And yes, two animals. One, um, mythical and the other one very real uh, flamingo and unicorn and they are kind of my my spirit animals as you would say uh, as the the young people would say um I just love them I think they're unique and uh I would say the flamingo is probably my favorite because they're just majestically awkward and that is me most of the time so (laughs) So. that's so awesome (laughs) you start out by telling about your animals but (laughs) Love it. We got to see flamingos recently in person and they are super fun just to watch sleep. Super they're fun. Just, just one leg cool. up. And, like, yeah. What God must have been thinking when he was making them. Right? Here, have some pink feathers. <laughs> Every little girl's like excitement, but it's pink, right? There you go. Yep. <laughs> Well, Stacey, tell us a little bit about you and what you do. And you also host a podcast. So we'd love to hear about that as well. I do. Well, first of all, again, my name is Stacey McLaren. I, um, I've actually been in um, Tucson for most of my life. I was born in Amarillo, Texas. And so in my heart, deep down, I'm a Texas Southern girl, but definitely grew up here in the desert. And I have been married to my wonderful husband, who I refer to on social media and online as the rocket scientist. We are coming up. We just celebrated 29 years. Mm -hmm. So next year, we will be celebrating 30 in Maui, where you just got back from. Yes. So we're very excited about that. I, uh, with mom to one, grandma to one, I have a beautiful daughter in love, um, and she lives five minutes for me. My parents live five minutes the other direction. And I do have a podcast. It's called The Creative Table. And I started it because I have a passion that when I hear a woman or anybody really, but women in particular are are quick to say, I'm just a mom or I'm just not creative. You know, everybody tends to, the first thing you hear is I'm not, I'm just not creative. I bristle against that because we've been made by the creator and we are very creatively put together and we're all creative. And so my my tagline with the podcast is everybody has a seat at the table because we are all creatively made. And so just have conversations about what it looks like to be artistic or to be creative in an engineering type way. Or I love the ones who can do an Excel spreadsheet because I cannot. I, you know, <laughs> I have to Google and YouTube formulas all the time. So to me, there's creativity there that I may never grasp, and that's okay. And isn't that but true? Yeah. Those of us it who totally love Excel is. sheets. In fact, when Valerie told me the name of your podcast, I said, oh, that's really cool. I'm not creative. And she goes, you have to <laughs> listen to her podcast because I'm the Excel like nerd. I love Excel sheets and putting things like that. And I do think of myself as not being creative, but you're so right. We were made by the creator. So that's kind of where we're at. I am on staff at New Life Bible Fellowship here in Tucson. I am an adult ministry associate work. I lead the women there. And then I'm also the communications associate. So I take care of all of the emails, all of the social media, all of our advertising that goes out. That's kind of under me. So I am on Facebook and Instagram all the time. And it's a love-hate relationship for sure. (laughs) 
but I love my job. I love, I love women. I love serving them. I love being their cheerleader. It is, it's such an exciting thing to see someone step into a leadership role and be able to cheer them on and watch them grow. Even Valerie, our friend Valerie, just to watch her have this slow ember burning inside of her and to be able to come alongside and kind of like blow on that flame to get it to flare up and watch her just come to life has been a thrill. I love that. We hear where you're at, you're in ministry. And I think sometimes people have a, maybe a false sense of, of people in ministry. Like Stacy, you're, you're in ministry. You're doing all these roles for the church. I mean, everything has been perfect for you, right? Sure. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I think that when I was on staff, that's something that I got a lot was, oh, well, you're a pastor and you don't understand like, oh, let, let's sit down. Let's sit down and talk and talk about the things that we've overcome and the things that God is still working in us. And I love having you share with me a little bit about your story really encouraged me in just what God can do in your life. And it encourages me that he can do it in mine as well. So as you share your story today, I just, I would love to encourage our listeners that as you hear Stacy's story and you hear how God has worked in her story, that he can do the same for you. And so where would you like to start? Well, I think you're right. You're absolutely right. How many people meet us um, as we are in vocational ministry and they don't want to talk or they think we've got it all together. And that is so far from the truth. And it's not that we're hiding it. It's just that, you know, on Sunday mornings, we're, we have to be on. And so, um, but I, so I'll start with, I'll go back quite a ways and just, I came to a relationship with Jesus my eighth grade year. Um, and I was a typical Gen Xer, you know, my parents were divorced. I was the, you know, generation of latchkey kids. I, I kind of fit that whole stereotypical mold. So I would spend, you know, the school year here in Tucson and then summers in Texas, uh, with my biological dad. And um, it's Texas. It's the South. You go to church because you go to church. Uh, but Christ found me and grabbed a hold of me at summer camp. And boy, he didn't let go. He hasn't let go since. Because of that, it kind of led my parents here on a journey to finding him as well. They they came to know Christ. We got involved in a very small church and just were immersed in scripture. I mean, we were at church more than we were at home, practically. And it was just every time the doors were open, we were there. And it was a beautiful thing. I was immersed in scripture. And that was a great thing because the summer of my 17th year, so this would have been 1985, my parents were involved in some stuff. And so they were away from the home. I mean, I, again, only child, grew up, latchkey kid thought nothing of going out for a walk in my neighborhood because we lived in one of the safest neighborhoods there was. That night that I went for a walk, I was pulled into the alley behind my home and raped. You know, it was one of those kind of things where you can feel the Holy Spirit just telling you to kind of removing you from the situation. And I don't even know how I got out of that alive. I shouldn't have, but I did. And just kind of the environment, the generation, call it what you will. It was more of a get up, go clean yourself up, pull it together. You're going to be fine. You're just going to move forward. And so I did. And I didn't say anything to anybody, wow. you know, take care of yourself. And I'm going to say it's like my, my parents were, were busy. I, I honestly didn't want to burden them. That's a 17 year old thinking right. they wouldn't have been burdened at all. They would have wanted to have known. but it played out this way. And I didn't say anything 
for a long while. What I didn't know is that night I conceived my son and everything kind of went normal. I mean, just physically for a while, for several months, I wouldn't have known that I was pregnant and I got really sick. It's, it's actually a miracle. I didn't lose him. I, I ended up getting the flu and strep throat in a really bad way and ended up on some really strong antibiotics. And it's just a miracle. I didn't lose him in that third month. I actually didn't end up telling my parents until two months, until I was seven months pregnant. Wow. And when did you find out? I put the pieces together that December. So August 26th, 1985 was that night. The first part of December, I felt him move and knew that's what it was. You know, we can, we can laugh about it when, when you're pregnant, you laugh about, it feels like gas bubbles. I knew at that time what it was. I told my best friend after the first of the year, the winter Olympics were going on. I can remember sitting in her living room. She said, I'm going to give you a week to tell your parents. And if you don't, I will, because you've got to go see, you've got to go see somebody like we, you've got to be taken care of. And so I did. And, and, you know, there's in, in hard prickly situations. I know your theme for the month is, is dealing with prickly situations, dealing with prickly people in those prickly situations, dark humor comes up a lot. I'm sure you've heard it from a lot of different people like this, this humor comes up. And I just remember, <clears throat> this was my senior year of high school. Once I figured out I was pregnant, I hustled to get all my credits in and graduated early and took a job as a nanny. And so I can remember my mom coming to the house where I was nannying and she was going to sew a skirt or something for me. And she went to take measurements. She took my measurements and then she left. And then she came back and she said, I think you have a tumor. And this is where the dark humor came in because it was like, well, that tumor is going to be growing on the outside pretty soon because this is what this really is. And so we just processed that with, with our family and there was a lot of brokenness. I think my dad, um, both of my dads were broken in that they didn't protect their little girl. They couldn't, there was no way that they could have. I think my parents were broken in that I didn't share it with them for so long. And then of course there's the fact that we were going to have a newborn in two months and God just orchestrated good care. He orchestrated, had a great midwife. And on May 16th of 1986 at home, it was a planned home birth. I gave birth to this beautiful child that came out and could have been my twin. There was just this precious grace of There was no denying whose child he was. And then as any mom of a newborn knows, life took off and went crazy. And I don't think I slept a wink fully (laughs) until he was married. So I was a single mom for until he was six years old and met my husband in our single Sunday school class at a very large church here in town. And we were both active in ministry there. We got married. God laid out a beautiful life. It hasn't been easy for sure. You know, he he is 10 years my senior. He got married to someone with a young child. We had to learn how to blend a family. And I had to give up control of parenting, which I'm not a great control giver upper. That just doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't suit me well. <laughs> well you've probably gotten in your own patterns and rhythms over those six years. Correct. And so did he. I mean, he was, uh, we got married when we were 24 and 34. So he was definitely in a pattern of bachelorhood. And it was, it was looking back, there's so much beauty there. 
even in the hard times. And we were blessed to have great friends that surrounded us with support. We were talking about, you know, someone that you're going to have on the podcast soon, Sally. She was a mentor of mine in church and just the lessons I learned from her still, still I can repeat things that she said, which is just, I'm thankful for her in my life. I'm thankful for the truth that she spoke. So moving forward, PJ, um, I homeschooled him. He went off to a Christian leadership college in Estes Park, Colorado. It was kind of what you could would consider, um, he took two gap years. So this would be the equivalent of touring around Europe for those not involved in the church. But he went to a torchbearer school, for anybody that knows, called Ravencrest up in Estes Park. And it was there in his second year that he met his wife, Ruth. And I could not have prayed for a more perfect daughter. Like, I just could not. We, we were just blown away at, at God's providence in, in his choice of wife for PJ. And, and the beautiful thing about this was, as they met up in Colorado, she's from Wisconsin and is a twin. So in our hearts, we figured for sure they were moving back to Wisconsin because you don't move away from your family as the girl. You, you know, right. nope, she packed it up and she moved down here. It was funny because her mom said to me later on, she said, we always knew Ruth would be the one that would move across the country. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Well, she did. I'm grateful for that. <laughs> <laughs> and we were very patient. The kids went to college. They graduated with their degrees. He ended up uh, becoming a, I don't even know what his title was. But it was it was cybersecurity for mining companies, the giant trucks that drive that are driverless. And so they're driven by satellite. And he ran the security that kept anybody from hacking into the satellite feed. So, so proud of him. So proud of him was the youth director at his church. They were thriving. He they, they actually ended up leaving our church to go find a church of their own, because sometimes you have to get out from underneath the shadow of your parents. And we totally understood that. And they, they thrived where they were at. As a mom watching her child get married, I think every mother does this. So you, you bite your tongue asking when grandchildren are going to come. So yeah, they surprised us. And in 2014, we were given the biggest blessing of a grandson. And once again, there is definitely a, a family resemblance. There's no doubt. So if you know our family, all of the men in our family, my dad is Patrick Arnold. PJ was uh, Patrick Joseph. And now we have Patrick Liam and he goes by Liam. Aww. So we are definitely an Irish family through and through. Uh, we carry those roots deeply. It was just a, it's a joy to watch your children become parents. There's something so, such a privilege about that. You get to watch them take their first breath, and then you watch their children take their first breath. There's beauty in that. Oh, yeah. everybody tells so, me kids are even more fun than kids too. Oh, so much <laughs> so! Oh my goodness! I just you know like insight. Last week we we um, my husband got me a, an ice maker for our anniversary. You know the nugget ice, oh, and nice. it has a, a shave ice maker in it. And so last weekend, like we made our own syrups to go on shave ice. We made. Sh- and then you can send them home all sugared up. I mean, like, yes, of course. Everything is yes at Gigi's house. <laughs> and we are Gigi and Pops, and we love that role. We we thrive in that role, I think. And it was just a, a beautiful kiss of, of redemption. 
And, and in that process, watching that happen, watching Liam grow in the fall of 2015, so September of 2015, I'll never forget, I was watching the baby and Ruth came over to get him and she didn't say much. And that's not like Ruth. We're very close friends. And she didn't say much and she, she grabbed Liam and she just left. And shortly thereafter, PJ came over and came in and sat down and said, mom, I have cancer. And I'll go back to the night he was born. I can remember saying, I can see myself sitting on the bed, looking into his crib and praying to God, God, if you intend on taking this child from me, you should do it now before I fall even more in love with him. Of course, we all know the minute you spend any time with your newborn child, your love is, it's never going to be the same again. It's its just exploded through your heart. But I prayed that prayer. And I can remember sitting on the couch with him that day, praying with him and just knowing God's not going to take you from me because he didn't take you from me back then. What we walked through was, I, I think, even a surprise to the doctors because we were told surgery, some radiation, and that will be it. What he had was a squamous cell carcinoma of the head and neck. And so the initial tumor was on his tongue and he thought it was just a swollen taste bud. Didn't smoke, never chewed, didn't really drink. And so we went through surgery and watched God provide even, even in the midst of this horrible, prickly, awful desert situation, God provided a brand new job. And because of that brand new job with him, he didn't have insurance coverage, but someone in the church was a broker and got them a plan that was less than what they would have paid at the new job, fully covered, found out in the hospital on the third day after surgery, his new boss that knew nothing about this called, got a hold of Ruth. She didn't know what to do. She just kind of shared the basics of it. And, and he said, put PJ on the phone. He said, you're a part of our family. Come to find out this man is a Christian. He's like, I'm praying for you. You're a part of our family. I will do whatever I can do to make sure that everything is covered. He got it set up to where PJ would get coverage while he was getting treatment. Like he was getting paid while he was getting treatment. At a brand new job. A brand new job at one of the defense contractors here in town. I mean, just watching what God did during that time was incredible. And again, we're walking through this going surgery, radiation, we're done. We're done with radiation. And in February of 2016, go in to have the PET scan and it's metastasized to his lungs. I will be brutally honest and say, I was really angry at God. And through that anger, what came out was the lack of processing the rape 30 years earlier of the anger and thinking I was being punished for what must I have done to have caused that rape? And why would God allow this to come to fruition as a child and then have this all go? Like there was so many emotions and hard thought processes to go through that in the midst of caring for my child with his wife, I had to also process this. My identity is not my brokenness and my identity is not my child, whether he's sick, whether he's here, whether he's gone. My identity is in Christ. I I am not defined by these things. He is not defined by these things. Our life is not going to be defined as the family that went through this. Like that's that's not the truth. It is a lie. So we walked through that in May of 2016. 
Oh, he started chemo. And what no one tells you is that when you have radiation and then you start chemo, there is something called radiation recall. Well, PJ had surgery. Not only did they take the quarter of his tongue, they did what's called um, a neck dissection. And that is as awful as what it sounds like. And basically they cut out lymph nodes from ear to ear. So he had a scar going completely around his neck. And when he started chemo, even though that had healed, because he had gone through radiation and that skin was tender, that wound reopened. So we were dealing with that. We were dealing with him not being able to eat because of the chemo causing illness. And what we ended up facing was a a man who was dying of malnourishment. And we ended up in the hospital with him for a month, just trying to get levels situated, getting a feeding tube placed, figuring out pain management, And what did this look like? All the while still having great hope that God was going to heal him because nothing is out of the realm of God. And it didn't happen that way. And so it would be a year more of watching him fight this horrible disease. And of them, we're five minutes from the hospital. So the kids basically would stay here after chemo because it was so strong of a combination of drugs. He would come and stay at the house with us for three days while that worked its way out of his system. Ruth and the baby would stay at their house so that Liam wasn't necessarily exposed in those high shedding days. But they would end up moving in here for weeks on end just to care for him. And in May of 2017, so a year later, almost to the day, On Mother's Day, we made the call to put PJ into hospice. And initially, we just thought we were going to go to the hospice that's just right down the road and get his pain managed. That was a huge thing. It's just managing pain. And that he would come home and he would be with us. That was our our desire. It was all of our desire that he would die in our home, in our arms and everything. But that wasn't the way it was going to be. And you're going to hear me get emotional because I'm still sad but there's still such beauty in this and that God would allow, God would allow us to see all these interactions happen that wouldn't happen unless PJ was dying. His friends, his closest friends would come in every night and they would bring a guitar and they would worship together and they would bring an Xbox 360 and they would all play games And PJ was with it enough to try and convince his friends to sit on his bed where the the mattress alarm was, you know, that would alert the nurses when he was trying to get up. He would try and get them to sit on the bed so that he could get up and go do what he wanted to. (laughs) Drugged out of his mind. That's why they were trying to keep him safe. And so they just had this sweet moment. The, The places where I struggle is the year before he turned 30 in the hospital. And this year, that year, he turned 31 in hospice. So, you know, Mother's Day, he went into hospice. Two days later, he turned 31. We were all praying. So May is a big birthday month for us. And the day before my 49th birthday, PJ took his last breath here with his earthly father and his first breath with his heavenly father. And I stand by that. There's a beauty that while his dad was not there to see his first breath taken, he got Mm -hmm. to be there and have the blessing of literally holding that child's hand at the same time that Jesus was holding it. If we can just take moments to stop in the midst of our pain, in the midst of 
all that, I mean, that's truly like sitting in the midst of a cactus pile. Yes. yes. If we can sit there and realize that God is sitting there with us, there is a beauty in that. That it may feel like we're alone, but God is beyond that feeling. And he holds us in the midst of that. And again, there was a lot of anger because I brought all this to God and I said, fix it. And he didn't. In my earthly way, he didn't fix it. What I learned is it's okay to be broken. It's okay to take your broken pieces, your broken heart, your life that feels like it's not ever going to be the same again, because it's not, it's not supposed to be the same. It's okay to take all those broken pieces and hand them to God and let him put them back together, not so that scars aren't seen, but so that scars are highlighted. There's this beautiful Japanese art, it's called Kenzuki, where they take broken pottery and they put it back together with gold. That is exactly what God does. He puts it back together with the blood of his son and he turns that into gold. And that piece is of far greater value than it ever was before as as a whole unbroken piece. He's what holds us together and it's okay to be not okay. You know... What you just said, it's okay not to be okay. I think a lot of times we take those pieces and we try to put them back together, right? We try to hold them and then we just keep carrying around that pile that we don't have the ways of being put back together. You had such a, a view into the kingdom when with knowing that PJ was holding Jesus's hand at the same moment. That is such a kingdom-minded perspective that that is, that's really a beautiful moment that you saw that in the midst and then to allow God to put you back together. It's, it's not always easy to trust him to put us back together when we wonder why he allowed us to be broken in the first place. What I've learned, and you'd think I would have learned it before almost 50 years old, is sometimes there is no answer to why. And that's okay. One of the biggest lessons I've learned in that is that we carry those broken pieces, right? They're broken shards. And the more we try to hold on to them and fix Mm -hmm. them, the more we cut ourselves, the more it slices us. And the more we take those broken pieces and we hurt other people with them. That's such a good point. But if we have this mindset of open-handed living, if I will just open my hand, and live open-handedly, what is given back is so much more than I could ever carry. And the pain of some things will never diminish. We will always carry that pain and it will always hurt just as much as it did the day he died. What happens though is we open our hands and God takes those pieces and he smooths off the rough edges before he puts it all back together. And so sometimes it might rub up against us again, but it doesn't cut anymore. We just feel that edge a little bit. And he makes our life so much bigger around the pain and so much more beautiful because of what our life holds and what he has poured in over that pain. Open-handed living is a motto of mine now. Yeah, it's not always easy to do that, to hold our hands open. That's such a good picture. I love what you said. And when we're hurting, hurting people hurt people. So I love that picture of the glass in our hands and 
and how he smooths the edges and puts us back together with the gold in between, right? And that's our, our light shines through those broken pieces. And I will go back, like what we were talking about being in ministry and people thinking we have it all together, that we haven't been through anything. So I would say to anybody listening, it's not easy. I mean, there are days even now where I'm going to use a word that is not a swear word, but it's kind of a Christian cuss word. Um, I would tell one of my pastors, it's like I've put all of my my crap in this basket and I've, I've carried my crap basket to the feet of Jesus and I put it down but I don't trust him enough. Like I'll put it down, but I'm going to stand right there in case he needs me to pick it up again, because he didn't do what I asked the first time. So I'm just going to stand here, God, because, you know, and I'll pick that, that crap basket up again. It does me no good because then my hands are full and I can't hold any of the other blessings that he's pouring over. So even, even if it appears we have it all together, we're still taking that basket full of our stuff to his feet. continually. It is a continual journey and it will be until we stand before him. Amen. That's so true. That's so true. And it's that trusting, it's that sitting it down, sitting our basket down in front of him (laughs) and turning our back to walk away and trusting him with that. And I know that your story has encouraged so many other women along the way too, just to hear what you've gone through and how you've seen God in the midst of it. What would you say to a woman who is listening, who is struggling with that open-handedness and wants to hold it? You know, I know I love control. So me me and my Excel sheets, like a five-year plan for everything. (laughs) Thank you very much. And uh, it's, it's, sometimes it's really hard to open your hands and trust God with our kids. Oh, our kids, our future, our security, our husbands, our, you know, our, our relationships, those are so hard, are the health of people we love. What would you say to a woman who says, no, I, I'm going to keep my fist clenched and I want to open them, but it's hard. What would you say to them? I think my first thing that I would say is, tell me your story. Tell me why you're at this place. And the second thing I would ask her is, do you want to enjoy life? Do you want to have life that's happy? Because when we walk with closed hands, that's not happiness. But if we can open those hands and truly trust God with everything, including our kids, there's a freedom in that. There's bondage when we walk like this. We are bound to our own stuff and we're never going to make it right. Like We can't do it in our own power. So I would encourage her, A, to voice her story and her her why this is, she's closed-fisted. And then I, I'm one of those that, okay, I'm going to walk alongside you. Like We're, we're going to do this together. And I'm going to hold you up when you can't hold yourself up. Because I know what that looked like for me. When I couldn't walk, someone else held me up and walked me forward. And we have to do that for each other. I think as women, especially, we have been fooled into thinking we have it, we have to have it all together. We have to, we have to control these things because we have to, you know, make sure our kids are doing the best. We have to make sure that our husband is well supported. And we do need to do those things, but open-handedly, because ultimately they are God's anyway. There is nothing that has been set in motion is going to stop because of something we do. So I think once you can wrestle with that, and once you can truly own that I'm mad with God, I can voice my anger at God, 
This is why I want to have control. This is what I'm scared of. When we can give words and voice to that, that's the prying of the fingers, the opening them up. But if we never give voice and we always keep it hidden and we try and pretend like we've got it under control, we're just going to end up cutting ourselves more and more and more. That's so true. Hearing other people's stories like yours. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today, because I think it gives us the hope to hear your experience and to hear your walk with the Lord and how he has put you back together and then allowed you to be that vessel. That's, that's what we all want, but it's a process. And I just, I really appreciate you sharing the pieces and the hard parts with us because it allows us to see your process. And if God can do it for you, it gives me hope that he can do it for me too. Thank you for having me and letting me share that. Thank you. And Stacy, can you repeat one more time? How can we find you through your podcast or what, however you would like us to? How can we find you out there? So my podcast, you can actually, the website is thecreativetable.net. And you can also find me on Facebook and Instagram at The Creative Table Podcast. Perfect. Well, Stacy, thank you so much for being with us today. And I would love to have you back on some time. I think there's a lot of stuff we could talk about. It would be my pleasure to be on. Thank you so much, Denisha. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I pray you found hope in today's conversation and maybe even feel a little less alone in your story. Stay connected with us on Facebook and Instagram at Reclaimed Story. Want to learn more about living a reclaimed life and how you can be a part of our growing community of reclaimers? Check out our website at reclaimstory.com. All of those links and more will be in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this inspirational podcast, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. That is a huge help in helping us reach more people to live the reclaimed life. Thank you so much for listening.